Thanks, Brian. Yeah, just as we're praying, there's just so much we can be thankful for as a community, um, all these different ways that God's at work, uh, both in the building downtown, but just growing community. I'm really excited about this Alpha course uh, that's coming up. Uh, it's a great place to both learn about God, but also, like, meet people as well um, and have good conversations. So, uh, yeah, you can—we don't have an official sign-up for that yet, but if you want to put— put that you're interested on a connection card we'll we'll put you on a list we'll have a list out fairly soon but yeah so uh we just checked the weather for next friday not looking great right now so be praying for that too uh, it's 50 percent chance of rain but i learned in a science class a long time ago those guys are only 64 percent accurate so you know that's like what 40 percent i don't know something but uh well, hey, we've been, in the last few weeks, we've been in this series in James. Uh, James is a book in the New Testament. It's the first book written in the New Testament, written by uh, the apostle um, James. Uh, he was basically the elder at the church in Jerusalem, which is the first church. It's where the church started. Uh, we also know that James was Jesus's brother, which, talk about intimidating, you know, his his earthly brother, um, born of uh, Mary and, and Joseph, and, and so he grew up up with Jesus and then came to came to believe in him later which makes sense I think if you you know you'd be having one brother it'd be like you'd, you'd kind of be the last one to believe in him right like you'd because you see all his flaws although Jesus didn't have flaws so um, but uh, anyways we're continuing through the book of James and uh, James is a wisdom book it really is very practical it's very plain spoken and in this this part of James, it's very to the point. It's a, it's almost I would say it's aggressive, um, at at f at showing you a mirror at, at 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 who you are and where your soul is at and why um, why you need God so much. Um, what James four tells us is that there's a war going on inside of our hearts. Uh, there's a battle inside of our hearts, and this battle is framed as, as uh, the, uh, a battle between the, the Spirit of God working in you and, and what you want in your flesh. It uses the word spirit and flesh, and so James really gets at this. And, what he, and, and really what, what he focuses on, I'm going to share this verse. This is sort of the, the crux of the passage is uh, James 4, 7 through 8. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This is sort of the, the key part. We're going to read uh, above and beneath that, but this is sort of the key part, this call to commitment. We're going to talk a little bit about commitment. What does it really mean to have your heart uh, committed to God? And th this is sort of the question, this is the question we're going to ask today. What does it look like to commit wholeheartedly to God with your whole heart, with your whole self? What does it mean to submit? What does, what, what's, what's James calling us to do when he says submit, come near to God? What does that look like for us? Sometimes we think of the word commitment and our minds immediately go to marriage. And I was just thinking of all the sitcoms that I watch. Um, usually they try to keep their characters single as long as possible. Have you noticed this? Because it makes it interesting, right? And, um, you know, maybe maybe all of us, if, if we're above a certain age, have, have either 
um, gotten married or wrestled with the idea of marriage and, and that idea of, am I really up for committing to be with this same person for the rest of my life, right? No one struggled with that, just me? No, <laughs> I haven't struggled with that. I made a great commitment. Um, yeah, thanks, Karma. Um, but you notice in like, uh, you notice in, in, in sitcoms, they always have really silly reasons for, for breaking up, whether like they don't like the shape of the person's feet um, or they laugh funny, you know, all these like ridiculous ideas. And, and, uh, but but when, you, when you love someone, it's easy to make a commitment. This is where I'm going to get mushy, okay? This is where I'm going to redeem myself for the slip up earlier. Um, but, but when you love someone, it's easy to make a commitment. And I, I can tell you, when I, was, um, when I met Bonnie, uh, when I was 19, I, I felt, felt really just hard in love with Bonnie. I, I just, we, we, it was like love at first sight. It really was. Except later I found out that Bonnie had actually, uh, I'd actually met Bonnie twice. This was just the first time I noticed. <laughs> so I don't know what that tells you about me. But uh, it took... It took a couple times of actually meeting her to actually, like, oh, wow, hey, hey, I'm Tyler, nice to meet you, and actually click in at that point. Um, but I remember about six months into our relationship, five months into our relationship, we had our first big test. I uh, basically was going into the summer after, after college, and I had signed up to go to London for nine weeks on this mission trip, and it was, so we were going to be, be out nine weeks apart, which when you're madly in love, that feels like an eternity, you know, and, um, and, and I remember Bonnie's sister saying, like, hey, they're either gonna, you know, they're, they're either gonna just keep, like, head towards commitment, or things are gonna, like, simmer down uh, during this trip, and um, our time away, my time away, really, while it was an amazing time, I still was very much, like, focused on getting home, and, uh, and, getting back with Bonnie. I desperately wanted to be back. And you got this is a long time ago. This is 2004, you know, a long, long time ago. We didn't have all the amazing technology uh, back then that we do today, right? You remember what we had? We didn't have cell phones. Well, we did have cell phones in 2004. We didn't have FaceTime. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. I'll say that much. I didn't have a cell phone, no Zoom. But what I did have was calling cards and phone booths. So eight hours difference between London and the Northwest. So I would get up at 5.30 a.m. to talk to her at 9 o'clock at night uh, back here, and I would, I would punch in the numbers. There's about 50 billion numbers you had to punch in on these calling cards to make it work. And then it would only give you 60 minutes, and then when, you're, when your minutes are up, you are done. You are, you're clicked off. And so we would do that. And because it was, you know, later over there, you know, it, it was – it, we would talk, and then towards the end, Bonnie would start to nod off and be like, hey, I'm still on the phone over here, you know? And, and, uh, and now we've been married for 18 years, so it's, it worked out. But just how, you know, just how love pushes us towards commitment, um, I, and, and it's easy to commit to someone that you, that you love. Discovering a love for God also pushes us towards commitment, that God isn't asking us for this uh, for this hard, disconnected commitment. He is actually calling us to commitment because he's committed to us in love. And when you love God wholeheartedly, it's easy to commit to him. Because what we see in Scripture is that God wants something more than a sense of duty to him. God wants something more than church attendance. God wants something more than good behavior. 
God actually wants our hearts. And this has always been true. If you read the Old Testament, um, you'll see that there are times where God gets angry with his people when they don't obey, when they don't listen. There are times where he judges his people, but it never says in the Old Testament that God is angry. What it does say is God is a jealous God. There's a big difference between being angry and being jealous. Being, being a jealous God means that there is a relationship, there is an emotional connection between God and his people. That God has been absolutely faithful to the people that he created, and yet the people that he created have been unfaithful to him. And he's right to be jealous. Because he's our creator, he, he's the, the creator of our souls, he's the one that cares for us, and so he's right to be jealous, where we aren't right when, to be jealous. But this is what it says in, in Jeremiah 3, this is verse 19 and 20, this is, this is God talking about his people. He, sa he says, how gladly I would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. So you see that what God, what God longs for is our love and our faithfulness and our wholehearted commitment. And God laments that the, that, that the people that he loves would, would turn, would, would find other things to pursue, would would look after idols, because what God wants to give them is a beautiful inheritance, but yet they have their own plans. And this is the story of Scripture. I'm just taking one point, but this happens again and again and again, and the message is God is faithful, and we're not so faithful. God is faithful, and we're not. And God, the Father, has held nothing back from us. Nothing back, not even his son Jesus, right? That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. For God so loved the world. So James 4 is in line with, with this thread from scripture, that God is jealous after our hearts, and, and our hearts are prone to wander in the, in the language of a famous hymn. James 4 shows us the state of our hearts, that we we like to wander, that we're selfish, that we resist the love of God. And so what I want to do today is read through James 4, 1 through 10, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about it. So this is what James 4 says. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. So light reading, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I was, uh, I was reminded of this quote as I dove into this this week. As we read the Bible, it reads us. As we read the Bible, it reads us. It shows us what's going on in our hearts. I was talking to a friend this week who talked about how God actually shows us the right way up, that all of us, before we meet God, are flying upside down, and then all of a sudden we encounter God, and he flips the plane so we can see everything the right way. And I feel like this is one of those passages where, where James is hammering that into us. Submit to God. Flee the things that are, are vying for your hearts. You, will, you notice that he called, he called us an adulterous people. So this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is carried into the New Testament. There is a truth that we wander away from God, that God is still jealous after us, but we still are prone to wander. We are still prone to drift. And so what James opens up is something I said earlier, that there is a war going on for your soul. And it doesn't end after you make a commitment to Christ. It's always there. It's always beneath the surface. It's in the everyday, in the choices and the decisions that you make. So in this passage, James first talks about being at war with selfish desires or, or the flesh, what we want, our appetites. We're at war with the appetites within us. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires? that battle within you, your desires, what you want that, that come from the flesh. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And so remember, James is speaking to a really young church, right? They've experienced a lot. They've journeyed with uh, they, they've, they've, they've journeyed with, with Peter and, and with John. They've seen amazing things, and yet 15 years after Jesus leaves, they're struggling with pride, they're fighting, they're quarreling, they have animosity between each other. I hope that's encouraging to you, <laughs> because it means that we, it means that we've always been messed up, that we've always been struggling with this, that we're not any different. And basically, we see that, th that, that they're right here, what James is calling out is they're, they're letting the flesh win this battle between the Spirit of God and our own flesh. When you become a Christian, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive God not just with you, but living in you, helping guide you and shape you and speak to you and change you from the inside out. So we don't, when we teach the Bible, we don't just teach moralism, like do this, do this, do this. No, we teach get closer to God and he'll actually change you what you want. He'll change your desires. It'll, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reaction. It's an overflow. It's an outflow of loving God. So we don't, we don't teach moralism, do this, do that. I don't bring up charts that tell you what to, what to do and what not to do, right? But God, God himself teaches us uh, through the Holy Spirit. He becomes our guide. He enters our life, and he guides and corrects us. He speaks to us when we pray, when we read scripture. And he doesn't just change, like, our, our habits and behaviors. He changes our hearts. He changes what we want. It says the desire of the spirit and the desire of the flesh. 
Yet the Bible teaches that while we've been changed, we're still attached to a, a dead man called the flesh. We're still attached. Um, the image that, that Paul gave is like, we're, it's like we're tied at the wrist to, to a corpse. You know, we're still attached to this thing called the flesh, and, and the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And so to succeed, we might use or abuse people. We want sex, so we might use porn. We want comfort, so uh, we overeat. We want control, so we overspend. Like, these are the desires of the flesh. And what we see is that this all happens not at surface level, but in our hearts. That there's a war uh, going, going on inside of you between the spirit and the flesh. And I love, I want to share this. This is how Paul explained the war. Uh, in Romans 7, 21, he said, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner, to, uh, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love, Paul makes it so real. It's like, I want to do all these right things. I love the Bible. I love Jesus. I love what he teaches. But I still have all these desires that are all about me and getting what I want. And there's this war going on inside of me. Who can rescue me from this trap? And that's why we don't teach moralism. That's why, because you need more than that. You actually need the Spirit of God helping shape what you want, changing you from the inside out. And so this is the battle. When you say yes to Jesus, you receive the Spirit of God. And if you haven't made that decision, you can do it today. You can pray to receive Jesus today. But what happens is there's a battle that's still going on. Just you have a lot more help. You have the Holy Spirit correcting your, your, uh, your desires, changing your desires to want, want the world, to, to see the world right side up, to see the world how God created it. But we still have appetites, we fight. And Paul says that he delights in God's law, but he's still fighting this slavery uh, from the flesh. And I was thinking about this, uh, maybe not in even big ways, but in a, in a very relatable way. Um, I want you to think about how many times a day you pray. If you pray. How many times a day you pray. Uh, Martin Luther said that we should pray at least twice a day. He said we should pray first thing in the morning before we do anything else, which my reflex is to start the coffee pot. I'm trying to, like, just do the timer thing, you know, but I forget. And then last thing, last thing we do at night, like, we should couch our day with prayer. And, and he even said, like, hey, don't tell yourself, I'll do it in an hour, or I'll just do a couple things. He said, no, make it a priority. Do it, uh, it, do it right away so you don't forget, even before you've had coffee, which is hard for some of us. Uh, um, but, man, it's a simple thing. Prayer is pretty simple. You just go before God, say, hey, God, here I am. Teach me today. Help me love my, my coworkers. Help me love uh, my spouse. Help me love my kids. Uh, be with me. What, you can even ask God, God, what should I pray today? Very simple, yet very hard. Right? Am I the only one here? We've got phones. 
We've got podcasts. We've got, we've got sports to catch up on. There are all sorts of things. We've got dishes that we left over from last night that we got to go do, right? There's all these things that get in the way, even of prayer, even of prayer. So it's a battle. It's a battle. And that's why Paul uses this word <laughs> wretched. Wretched. What a wretched man I am, you know? And I feel like that's, we need, to, we need to grab hold of that word and realize that without God, that's where our heart is at. Without God, without God's work in our lives, like our hearts are selfish. Our hearts are all about us. Our hearts are wretched. See, the gospel doesn't say you're pretty good and you need Jesus to get better. It's like you're wretched and you need Jesus to save you and transform you. Like, it's pretty stark. It's not that we need to get better. We need our hearts completely rewired. Or else we'll be slaves to the flesh. We'll do whatever the flesh wants. Paul reaches this point where he says, who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he doesn't leave us hanging too long. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me, who rescues me through Jesus Christ our Lord. James says there's grace for us. So praise God, we are not preaching any of this apart from the grace of God and his work in our lives. But this word wretched, that means that there, there aren't, people aren't good apart from God, right? This is what Paul says. Um, there's no one who does good, not even one. And this is, I think this is hard for us today because we see, we, there is, we, we want to affirm the goodness of people, but Paul's talking about our souls, that we actually need to be transformed at a soul level, and the only way we can do that is to connect to Jesus, who transforms us, who flips the plane right side up. James talks about this. He says, your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. When we veer away from the love of God, we, we not only, like, um, become at odds with him, like James uses the word enemies, we become enemies with each other. We, we, we turn on each other. We start to fight each other. Now, I don't, he says, you desire and do not have, so you kill. Um, I don't think there's, you know, I could be wrong. Any, anybody in here killed anybody recently this week? Probably not. Um, but, so it's strong language, but, you know, Jesus taught more of hate. He kind of equated killing with, with hate. So when, when we get jealous, we can hurt other people. We might, we might not hit somebody physically, but we might with our words, right? When we don't like what, what our boss is doing or saying, or, or we don't, um, you know, we, we don't like what, what's going on in our family, we could be prone to gossip. Uh, Brian talked a couple weeks ago about taming the tongue. That's James 3. He's like, your tongue is a fire. Fires kill and destroy, right? So that's, that's one place where it starts. But man, this idea of, of, of killing can go to the extent of exploiting others. There's a lot of exploitation going around the world. Um, I have a friend who's got a ministry based here in Whatcom County uh, to Pakistan called All People Free. He's actually buying people who've been basically indentured into slavery in, in brickyards in Pakistan. Like people are making money out of people working literally all the time in terrible conditions. 
So James goes on about selfishness and anger and how it affects the way we approach God. And he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, uh, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I think this is a good thing as we pray to think about, right? Why are we asking for the things we're asking for of God? Are we asking selfishly, right? Are we asking just so that we can spend whatever God gives us on ourselves? God doesn't want just to give us things just so that we can, we can uh, waste it on ourselves. He wants whatever he gives us to be a, a blessing um, to, to the world and, and, and glorify him. And so Jesus taught us another way to pray. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we actually have joy when, when we align ourselves under the will of God. That, that we would pray his, his will to be done in, in our neighborhood, in our uh, family. And, and then we, we get to enjoy the fellowship that God brings when, as, as he uses us. As he uses us. He's, now, now, God cares so much about our, our, our pain, our, our, our health issues. So I'm not saying don't pray for those things. Don't pray for those things. But God wants our ultimate mot motivation to be for his, his glory and his kingdom. And pray that God would accomplish his will through our lives. And then he also, in that prayer, pray for provision. Give me today our daily bread. I love that prayer. Because it's basically asking for, God, give me what I need. Maybe not what I think I need, but what you know I need. What's going to be best for me. That's when we'll be the most, the, the happiest. So getting into this idea of, of committing wholeheartedly, I, I really like what um, Pete Hughes, who's a pastor in London, talked about this idea of, of uh, undivided devotion, that God really moves in us when our devotion is undivided. You know, when we're able to cut out the things that we're fighting with God on, so we can just focus on him and be free in him. That's really when God works. A lot of us want to see God move in powerful ways. A lot of us want to see God, God perform miracles and for, for God to just start moving all over this town and this county. And, and Pete Hughes brings it back to this idea of, well, first it starts with your undivided devotion. Like, how much do you want God to move in this city? How much do you want God to move in your life? How much do you want God... Uh, to move in your family. And that's, that's really where it, where it starts. So, you know, this, James is, is not mincing words here when he's talking about the difference between the spirit and the flesh. I mean, he, he uses these words, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And so, first of all, it's not just our flesh we fight, but there's a spirit in the world that James is saying, don't, don't play with this spirit. <laughs> don't follow what the world wants you to follow. Now, there's a wrong way to read this verse. Uh, James is not saying, don't have any friends, move to some really isolated bunker, and just, like, get away from everyone. James isn't saying that. It'd be hard to love your neighbors, which is something God commanded us to do, if you were in a bunker in the middle of nowhere because you wouldn't have any neighbors. 
Um, squirrels, maybe, but um, anyways, uh, yes, yeah, so God is not asking us to hate people at all. What God is asking us to do is not follow the, the spirit that's in the world. Um, we talked about it last week. If you just rewind to James 3, 13 through 18, he's talking about bitter envy, selfish ambition, those things, those things that are so entrenched in, in the, the system of the world. Um, I, I got to see, and I might have reshared this story. I've reached a point in preaching. I'm five years in. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm starting to repeat myself with stories, um, catch me afterwards. Send me an email. Um, you guys don't send me enough emails complaining about my sermons, and I really have a problem with that. I, I can't just be because I'm, I'm nailing it every week. I mean, really. Uh, but no, a few years ago, Bonnie and I had the privilege to go down to San Francisco, and, and uh, one of the things we did, we, we went with a, a group that's planning house churches down there, just to kind of get some vision, like, man, how could, we, how could we do community in a really rich way here in Blaine? And so we went down there, we spent a week down there, and one of the weeks we went out to um, the Tenderloin District in San Francisco, which if, if you know San Francisco, Tenderloin District, there's a, uh, there's a lot going on. Um, heavy homelessness, lots of like drug use in the streets, uh, lots of despair. We went around and talked and prayed with people. Um, but in the middle of the Tenderloin District, there's a Young Life camp there, or there's a Young Life station, whatever they call it. I don't remember <laughs> what they call it, but it's a base. There you go, it's a base. Um, so there's a Young Life base there, and, and I met someone there, and I don't remember his name, but he's somebody who had left a career in tech kind of put, put the p brakes on his career in tech, moved his family into this base uh, in the middle of, of this kind of chaotic scene just to pursue what God wanted him to do. He felt like God was calling him to do it. He put his career on hold. He had a daughter about five years old. It was so beautiful to uh, watch them, even on, on these streets, which are really, it seem really, would seem really rough and uncomfortable to us if we were to walk through this. And to just see the, these homeless folks like smiling and, and uh, just being treated uh, like people, uh, it was really beautiful. Um, but I was thinking about how many of us would have the courage to make a change like that if God came knocking on your door and said, I want you to move down to the tenderloin. Like how many of us would be like, sure, God, sign me up. I don't know. But there's this pattern, there's an inflexible pattern the world wants us to attach ourselves to that's really focused on us, our security, um, what we have. And, and God calls us to break free from that and trust him. Trust him with the little things and the big things. If he calls you to something, he will provide for you, no matter how hard it is. So James is saying, don't fall in love with the pattern of the world that's all about you and getting what you want. Fall in love with Jesus. Have some adventure with Jesus. So we have this choice to make. We can follow the world's plan or we can follow God's plan. We can chase, we can chase success, money, popularity, whatever it is, or we can chase Jesus. This is the whole thing Jesus talks about with the kingdom, right? When you, when you see what the kingdom is, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. You sell everything, you get a shovel, and you start digging for that treasure. And that's, that's what, what God calls us to, is, is, is an all-out pursuit, an all-out commitment. Because God is jealous for our souls. God doesn't want a half-hearted pursuit. He wants 
a wholehearted pursuit of him. When I was pursuing Bonnie as a 19-year-old, it would have been very wrong of me to pursue someone else as well, right? I didn't, by the way. (laughs) But, uh, But God doesn't want a divided pursuit. He wants a wholehearted pursuit. So this is what James tells us to do. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This is the key promise. Come near to God and he will come near to you. How do you do that? It looks like this. It looks like repentance. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want to say this is not saying that God wants to keep you in a place of doom and gloom, but he wants you to face your wretchedness, and he wants you to surrender your life to him. He wants you to ask for forgiveness. He wants you to be humble enough to say, Jesus, I see the condition of my heart, and I need you. I need you to transform me. Forgive me. Surrender takes humility. We've got to realize that we're not just pretty good and we just need Jesus a little bit. Like, we really need Jesus. We, we need him every day. And it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Behind this battle with the flesh in the world, there is an enemy who has schemes, who wants to pull you astray, who wants to lead you astray. And we have to, that's, that's why we have to cling to Jesus so tightly because there is a war going on we would like for everything to be like hunky-dory i don't know if people still use that phrase um we'd like for things to be hunky-dory it's a theological phrase if you aren't familiar with it um but but it the bible does not paint that picture that that there is a kingdom of the world there's a kingdom of god and and we need to choose who we're going to align ourselves under so that's yeah that's that's where we're at so we need to pray for, for God's protection over our hearts, over our lives, over our churches. And, and this is the promise that I want to just leave you with today. It's one straight from the scripture. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's the beauty of this verse. If you come near to God, he won't sit back. He never does. When you take steps towards God, he always, always, always takes steps towards you. Always. In forgiveness, in grace, in love, because this is what I know. Unless you know the depth of the love of God, you will not be changed. You will not be transformed. You won't be able to love others unless you know God's love for yourself. Unless you know what he's forgiven you. Unless you know how much he loves you. It'll be, it'll be, uh, that's what you need in order to be transformed. So take those steps towards God. Maybe ask to receive Jesus, ask to receive the Holy Spirit, or just be honest with God, saying, you know, I've been distracted for a long time here. and Help me align my priorities. Help me see my life through your scope, through your lens. Help me see my life right side up. I don't want to fly upside down anymore. I want to fly right side up. And as we come near to God, as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. That's the beauty of this is the beauty of this passage is that yes we might have to get on our knees which we should we should get on our knees 
we should grieve our sin. We should grieve the things that grieve God. But know that God meets us in love and grace to restore us. To not leave us in a place where we, we just feel guilt-ridden and bogged down, but to lift us up and transform us into new creation. Into a new creation. I want to share, as, as we close, I just want to share this verse um, from uh, 1 Peter. And this is 1 Peter explaining what, what happened on the cross. Explaining why uh, we can experience this kind of transformation. And what Jesus did for us. He said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You have a shepherd that's guarding your life now in Christ. You might slip up here and there, but you have a shepherd who loves you and is guiding you. Jesus, this, this shepherd also bore your sins on his body on the cross, so there's, there's no need to live in guilt, right? There's no need to live in permanent guilt because Jesus has taken our sins on the cross. He's paid for it. So you don't have to stay in a place where, you're, you, you, where you feel that. By his wounds, you have been healed. So God's answer to our unfaithfulness was to send his own son to, to, to be faithful to him so that now we might live faithfully to God. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but God has been faithful, faithful, faithful. And his faithfulness, here's the good thing, his faithfulness makes up for our lack of, our lack of faithfulness. And all we got to do is believe, and he will help us be faithful to him. So, as we close, the only way to win the war for your soul is to commit wholeheartedly to God. Do whatever it takes. You'll find freedom there. You'll find freedom there. When I, when I re committed my life to God wholeheartedly, I didn't find myself ridden with guilt. I didn't find myself down and out and, and living in gloom. I was experiencing joy like I'd never experienced before, ever. Joy, freedom. Um, I was, this is like freshman dorms. Our, our dorm wing became known as the religious dorm because we were like having Bible studies and worshiping and talking about Jesus. Like it was powerful. God moved powerfully. And my prayer is that you'd experience that kind of power too. That, that this is not some guilt into submission God thing. This is find freedom in Jesus. Let him change your heart. Let him change your desires. That's where the life is. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that you, you give us. Freely give. This, this, uh, our salvation, uh, our life in you is completely a gift. And we don't earn it. Um, we, we, do, we do nothing, God. All we do is believe and we follow. So, Lord, wherever we're at today, I don't know where people are at. I just pray that you'd help us to listen. I pray that you'd help us to follow. Maybe if it's praying in the morning, Lord, Lord, help us to get there. Help us to pray first thing when we wake up, last thing as we go to bed. Lord, transform our hearts, Lord, so that we can see you clearly. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
So in response today, we're actually going to have a time of communion. Um, if you're not familiar with, with communion, the, the bread represents the body of Christ and the wine represents his blood. This is what Jesus asked us to do, to remember him, was to take his body and his blood. But it also provides for us an amazing time of reflection where we would just, I'm just going to ask you to come forward and grab the bread and the, and the juice, go back to your seats, and just, just do some business with God. Just reflect for a minute. Like, God, help me to, help me to receive this. Help me to um, not, just, not just do this as a sense of duty, but to actually receive it. Receive your body and your blood in my life. Um, this is... Um, this is, if you consider yourself a, a, a follower of Christ, if you're following Christ, this is for you. Um, and, and if you're not, I just ask uh, to abstain. Um, but let's go ahead and pray, and then, it, then we'll grab the elements, and I'll lead us at, at a time of uh, closing. Lord, we thank you, God, for, for your body and blood that, that uh, Lord, gives us life. Lord, covers our sin. Uh, by your wounds, we're healed, but we also experience life in you. And so we just celebrate that. Lord, I pray for newfound freedom today. I pray as we leave these doors, God, that, that we would experience the freedom of, of, of a wholehearted, undivided devotion to you. God, help us, Lord. It's so difficult. Uh, there's so many things that we navigate uh, in life that distract us, that, that takes our, our attention away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to, to come to a place where, where we're committed. And, Lord, I pray for, for those who maybe have, it, have been committed at one point in their life and they're, and they're just coming back. I pray, God, that you would just receive them with open arms, that you'd help them to take that step towards commitment. And, and like James says, as they draw near to you, would you draw near to them? So, Lord, we just uh, thank you and, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're ready, uh, come forward and, and get the bread and the juice.